everybody. I want you to turn and look at the sound booth and say, Great year, Kale. Is on the football team. Is our kicker. And uh, guys had a great year. Amen. Proud of them. Mostly proud that they're just a bunch of good guys. Amen. You know, it's uh, one thing to be able to play football, but it's something else when you get a hold of um, those valuable things in life that you can apply in your life. Well, I want to talk with you today about before and after the cross. And, uh, you know, the, the cross is really the, the defining line. It's uh, the separating line. It's uh, the dividing line between the two covenants, the new covenant and the old covenant. And I think oftentimes what happens is we fail to rightly divide the word of truth. And when we don't do that, we begin to try to live by or apply principles that really don't apply to us anymore. Or we apply, we, we apply the wrong principles rather than really recognizing what Jesus has done for us. And if we, if we don't divide it rightly, if we don't recognize that, what happens is we experience defeat. We don't experience the victory that that Christ has purchased for us. And, and I don't know about you uh, what during worship, but I don't know if you realize that <clears throat> just about every one of those songs, if not every one of them, um, you know, what was it? It was, it was our confession. In our praise and worship, what were we doing? We were confessing what Jesus has done for us. We were confessing who he is. And, and, you know, that's what's so important for us because if we don't rightly divide it, what happens is our, our focus begins to get wrong. We begin to focus on the wrong things rather than focusing on the right things. And so for us to realize what Jesus has done for us, if we don't recognize the victory that we have through his grace, we, we still see God as a God of judgment. Now, he is, he is judge. But he's, he's not a God of judgment. I don't know about you. I grew up in church with this idea that God is sitting up in heaven someplace just waiting for me to mess up a good one so he could whack me one. You know, and so it was so wonderful when I came to the realization that my Jesus loves me. That when I sang all those years, Jesus loves me, this I know for the Bible tells me so, I realized my problem was is I didn't have a biblical interpretation of who God was, of who Jesus is. And the moment that I began to really study the word and put, rightly divide the word, I began to realize my Jesus is the Jesus of love. And because he loves me, he wants the best for me. And so if we don't realize that, we see him as a God of judgment. We see him as a God who puts sickness on us. We see him as, as a God who's the author of death rather than seeing him as the God that has mercy upon us, the God who brings healing into our life, the God who wants to, us to live a long, productive, prosperous life. That's the God that we serve. But we've got to know him as such. And so, therefore, we have to rightly divide the word of truth. And where that, one of those key dividing lines is the cross. It's where we go from living according to the old covenant, according to the new covenant. And we begin to see things totally different when we begin to look at it that way. Because if we don't rightly divide the word, what happens is we're blinded. You know, it's an interesting thing about the law. It'll blind you. It'll blind you to what Jesus has made available to you. You know, the old covenant will blind you to the new covenant. If you still see yourself as a servant, it'll, it'll blind you to the fact of sonship. Now, the Apostle Paul said, we take the position of a servant. But you know, we're sons of God. Amen. Amen. But in order to serve one another and to serve him, we take that position of sonship. I mean, of, of servanthood. But we are the, 
We are the sons of God. And so we've got, uh, if, if we don't rightly divide the word, what happens is we, we, we begin to have the wrong attitude about things. I want you to look at something. I want you to turn in your Bibles. They'll be up on the board otherwise. But if you want to look in your Bible, you can turn it to, to 2 Kings. And we're going to look at the first chapter, and I'm going to begin in, in the first verse. And, and this is where, you know, uh, the king wanted Elijah to come to him, and he wasn't coming. And so he sent some uh, captains to him. 2 Kings 1, verse 10, and it says, uh, let me find verse 10. There we go. So Elijah answered and said to the captain of, the fifth, of, of 50, If I am a man of God, then let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50 men. And fire came down from heaven and consumed him and his 50. Then he sent to him another captain of 50 and his 50 men. And he answered and said to him, Man of God, Thus says the king, uh, come down quickly. So Elijah answered and said to them, If I am a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50 men. And the fire of God came down from heaven and consumed him and his 50. And again, as he sent three captains, don't you love to be that third captain? And he sent a third captain of 50 with his 50 men. And the third captain of 50 went up and came and fell down on his knees before Elijah and pleaded with him and said to him, Man of God, please let me live. And the life of these 50 servants of yours uh, be precious in your sight. Look, fire has come down from heaven and burnt up the first two captains of 50s with their 50s. But let my life now be precious in, his, in your sight. And so we know what happened. He didn't. He went down with him. He didn't call down fire from heaven. But see, it's an interesting thing. If, if, we, if we read through that, we look at that and we say, well, you know, bless God. When somebody does you wrong, you just call down fire from heaven and consume that sucker. Amen. You ever want to call? I, I've wanted to call down fire from heaven. I, don't look at me with that tone of voice. You know that you've been in the same place. Some of you have talked with me about the people that you want to call down fire from heaven and consume them. But you know what? So Jesus' disciples had seen that. They had read that. They had heard about that. And so there were people that were speaking against them and speaking against Jesus and there were things that were going on and it wasn't kosher, if you will. And so the disciples, they say to Jesus, you want us to call down fire from heaven? Let's look at that. It's in Luke, the ninth chapter. Let's go to the 52nd verse. And it says, and send messengers before his face. And as they went, they entered the village of the Samaritans who had prepared, um, prepared for him. But they did not receive him. So they didn't receive Jesus because his face was set for the journey to Jerusalem. And when the disciples, James and John, just think about this. John is one of these. And what's, the, what's John known as? He's known as the apostle of love. Amen. He wrote the gospel of John. I always tell people when you get born again, when you have a difficult time, you do what I go back to, go back to John's gospel. Because John's gospel talks about the love of God. You know, first, second, and third John, what does it talk about? It talks about the love of God. And so here's the author of the Gospel of John and the two epistles of John. And it says, And when his disciples James and John saw this, they said, Lord. I'm sure they 
We're very spiritual at this moment. Lord, you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them like Elijah did? They'd read what Elijah had done. So they were basing it on Old Testament, Old Covenant principles. You want us to call down fire from heaven? And he turned and rebuked them. Jesus turned and he rebuked them and he said, you do not know what manner of spirit you are of. And listen to this. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. He came that we might have life, that we might have it more abundantly. Jesus came that we might save lives, not destroy lives. But you know what? If we don't, if we don't rightly divide the word of truth, what happens? We begin to have the wrong focus. We begin to look at the wrong thing. We begin to use accounts that no longer apply to the position that we're in right now in the kingdom of heaven. 2 Timothy 2.15. This is out of the Amplified Bible. It says, Study, be eager, and do your utmost to present yourself to God approved, tested by trial, a workman who has no cause to be ashamed, correctly analyzing and accurately dividing, rightly handling and skillfully teaching the word of truth. And so we're to do it rightly, correctly analyzing the word of God. We can't simply pick up our Bibles and, and just let somebody else interpret it for us. There's a point where we need to understand for ourselves what the Bible says. Because if we don't, somebody can stand up in front of us and they can start spewing a bunch of garbage and we just accept it hook, line, and sinker because we don't know what the Word of God says for ourselves. You know, if you leave here Sunday morning and every Sunday morning for the last 37 and a half years that I've been here and you just take my word for it, you're foolish. You're foolish. Because the words that I speak, they ought to be confirmed. They ought to be able to be proven according to the word of God. They ought to be interpreted according to the word of God. That's one of the reasons why Isaac, Pastor Isaac is sitting on the front row. That's one of the reasons why he's the one that's coming in to, to replace me in about a little over a month. Why? Because he believes in the Word of God. He studied the Word of God. And you know what? He's going to present the same thing to you. And so his presentation is probably going to be different than mine in the church. Oh, so praise the Lord. His delivery and his presentation is going to be different than mine. But you know what? He's going to be preaching the Word of God. Let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. You know, I've been, I've been around for a while now. And let me tell you what scares me concerning the church of Jesus Christ. Is we want to be entertained. Let me tell you something. Don't get into the entertainment mode. Don't get into the place where I'm not going to go to that church anymore. Because they don't entertain me. They don't, they don't minister to my soul. Now I love worship. I love singing. But you know what? Without the Word of God, all it is is a, is a clanging cymbal. It's just a bunch of noise. That's why our worship is so wonderful here. It's not just simply because we have great musicians and singers. It's because of what they present. They present the Word of God to us. And the way that you know that it is because you have that Word on the in inside of you. Worship ought to build up your spirit. Not just simply make you feel good in your soul. Man, I, I got kind of preachy today, Bob. But you know what? It's, in, it's important. You know, that's my, that's my greatest fear for the church today. Because we see individuals, we see people moving away from the Word of God because it's not exciting enough. Let me tell you something. If you're not excited about, excited about the Word of God, we'll have an altar call right now and we'll get you born again. Because once you're born again, the most exciting thing that you'll ever experience in your life is the living Word of God. And he tells us right here that we need to know this Word. We need to be introduced to this Word. We need to have an understanding of this Word. In John 1.17 it says, For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus. 
You've got to realize the law came through Moses, but you know what? We're no longer under Moses. We're under Jesus. And therefore, grace and truth has come to us. It's been made available to us. It came through Jesus. That's why at the cross, everything changed. At the cross, before the cross, it was self-effort. After the cross, it's what Jesus has done for us. The focus is completely changed. The focus is off of you, and it's on Jesus. And we need to realize this. In Matthew twenty-two twenty-nine, Jesus said, You are mistaken, not knowing the Scripture, nor the power of God. You hear it all the time coming out of people's mouths. They say things, but they're mistaken in what they say. You watch TV, you watch the news, you watch, you even, you listen to Christian programming and you hear what they're saying, but let me tell you something, they're mistaken. They talk about Jesus bringing judgment upon this nation. They talk about God bringing judgment. They're mistaken because they've not read the word of God. We are under mercy. We are under grace. Are we to act stupid and sinful? No. But you know what's going to change our life is the confidence that we have in what Jesus has already done for us. Listen to this in Colossians 2.8. It says, beware. That means we're not supposed to be foolish. We're not supposed to be stupid. We're supposed to be aware. That doesn't mean that just because somebody goes with the title of Christian, we accept everything that they have to say. We're to be aware. We're no, we're to know, we're to know. We are to know some things for ourselves. And we'll never know it for ourselves if we don't study the Word of God for ourselves, if we don't spend time in the Word of God for ourselves. Listen to this. Beware lest anyone cheat you. You know what the Bible says? When somebody sells you a bill of goods, you've been cheated. When somebody sells you the bill of goods, that that sickness that came on you is because God is trying to teach you something. You've been sold a good bill of goods because Jesus came to heal your body. When somebody teaches you that Holiness and, and poverty are synonymous with one another. You've been sold a bill of goods. Because that doesn't line up with the Word of God because the Word of God says that Jesus became poor that you might become rich. Thank you for that rousing amen. amen. Well, I don't know if a person should be rich. I'm rich. This is my definition of rich. Rich you know, the Bible says that one, a man that doesn't provide for his own is worse than an infidel. An infidel is an unbeliever. And so therefore, God wants you to be able to provide for your own. But then he says, given it shall be given unto you. We've been created in the image of God. God so loved the world that he gave. And so you and I as born again believers, giving is a part of our DNA. It's part of our makeup. Because God is a giver, so are we givers. And so my definition of, of being rich is when I've got enough to meet my needs and the needs of my family, and I've got enough to give to somebody else, to help somebody else's need being met. That's God's definition of rich. It has absolutely nothing to do with your checkbook. Because there's folk out there with millions of dollars that are poor. They're living in poverty. They have everything that they want, but they don't have a clue about the needs of anybody else. They don't care. That individual is poverty-ridden. Let me tell you something. We in this church, we are not poverty-ridden. We have enough to meet our needs, and we have enough to send the gospel of Jesus Christ throughout the world. Because that's our very purpose in being, is to fulfill the plan and the purpose of God. Let me read that passage out of the new, uh, out of the international, new international version. It says, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophies, which depends on human tradition 
and the elementary spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. What do you focus on? You know, <clears throat> there's nothing wrong with tradition. There's just something wrong with bad tradition. What are you talking about, Pastor Dave? I, I grew up in tradition. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with, with the majority of the tradition. It's just that when tradition begins to take us contrary to the Word of God, that's bad tradition. And at that point, it's time for us to repent. It's time for us to turn from it. You know, <clears throat> there's, there's some very significant differences between the Old and the New Covenant. Before the cross, the people were blessed only when they obeyed. And they were under the curse when they disobeyed. Listen to this out of Deuteronomy 26. This is talking about the Old Covenant. It says, Behold, I set before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing is if you obey the commands of the Lord your God, which I command you today. And the curse, if you do not obey the commands of the Lord your God and turn aside from the way which I command you today and go after other gods which you have not known. So this was true before the cross, but it changed after the cross. Now don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that we can go out there and that we can just do whatever we want. It, it, if that's your mindset, once again, you need to get born again. Because as a born again believer, the number one thing that I want to do in my life is to be pleasing to God. Does that mean that I don't ever make a mistake? <laughs> Thank God Beck, Pastor Becky walked out the room because otherwise she could clue you in on that one. Yes, I make mistakes. But you know what? Because I make a mistake, a curse doesn't come upon me. Galatians 3, 13 and 14 says that I've been redeemed from the curse of the law. Jesus became a curse for me. That the blessings of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles. I'm blessed. You ever say, I'm blessed. I'm blessed. But it isn't because you're so good. It's because he's so good. Because amen, amen, amen. he's good. Now that, that doesn't give us a license to sin. But his Holy Ghost on the inside of us is working within us to do the right thing. Every one of us, we're a work in progress. Amen. Amen. It's like I heard a preacher say one time. He said, if you ever find the perfect church, don't join it. You'll ruin it. Amen. Why? Because none of us are perfect. That's why we can love one another in spite of our faults. Because we're not perfect. But we're all moving in the same direction. We're wanting Jesus to be real in each of our lives. We want him to take us to where we've never been before. In Galatians 3.13, I already read it, it says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. He has redeemed us. Redeemed means freed, delivered us. He's freed us. He's delivered us from the curse of the law. Now, again, I just want to reiterate the fact that doesn't mean that now I have a license to do whatever I want, but I've been redeemed from the curse. And the exciting thing about being redeemed from the curse is that that sin consciousness that has dominated my life, I'm free from it. Because I'm no longer looking at self. I'm looking at Jesus. You see, I see myself as the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, according to Romans or 2 Corinthians 5.21. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, but not because I look at myself. It's because I look at Jesus. If I look at self, I see a poor, miserable sinner that needs to get saved by grace. But I was a poor, miserable sinner. I got saved by grace. And now I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And so I focus my attention to what Jesus has done for me. And I get my eyes off of myself. Because if I put my eyes on myself, it'll only take me down. 
Listen to what it says in Romans 4, 8. Blessed. Everybody say blessed. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. What does that mean? That means the man is blessed who God doesn't hold a sin against him. Why doesn't he hold our sin against us? Why doesn't he lay it to our account? Because he took it upon himself. Jesus became sin for you and I so that our sin might be forgiven, so that we'd no longer have to focus upon our sin, our shortcomings, but we'd be able to look upon him and see the completed works of Jesus. You see, if you go before the cross, your focus is going to be on everything that Jesus has left to do. After the cross is everything that Jesus has already done for us. If I focus before the cross, I'm going to see myself as a miserable sinner and I'm going to have a sin consciousness. But if I see myself in Christ after the cross, I no longer see myself as that sinner. I see myself as a righteous man whom Jesus paid the price for so that I can live the victorious life. I don't know about you, I like that position a whole lot more. And that's what he's done for each and every one of us. God is no longer far away. You know, you, you, you <clears throat> can I meddle just a little bit? You know, so you hear people pray and you, you hear people, even, even some of the stuff that gets sung. Oh, come Lord Jesus. Oh, come fall on us. Why do you want him to fall on you? He's already in you. Amen. Why, why? Come, Lord. He's, he's come. We are the temple of the Holy Ghost. Amen. You know, the Bible says in his presence is fullness of joy. That's why we can have joy all the time. But you know, when we come together as a, a body of believers I believe that there is a, there is a, a uh, tangible, uh, what's the word that I'm looking for? Corporate presence of the Holy Ghost. You know, I believe that that's what we had just right after worship. We were all in the presence of God. I mean, he's here, but we've, we, we united together in oneness. And so what did he do? He healed Job. That's what happens in the presence of God. And that's what he wants to do in each of our lives on a continuous basis. We're in his presence. You know, I remember when I first got saved, you know, they, they said, oh, you can't go to movies. You know, because God doesn't go to movies. I found something out. God goes to movies. How do you know? Because I went to a movie. And he didn't check out. Now, of course, I always add this to that. Now, do you want to take God to some of the movies that you go to? Just a thought. Well, why do we? Why? why? Because we don't. We don't practice His presence. We don't. We don't recognize that He's with us every moment of every day, wherever we are. You know, do we want Him to have to suffer through some of the places that we go? Because he goes where we go. He doesn't check out. Let me tell you something. He's never going to check out on me. Well, how do you know that, Pastor Dave? You better be careful. I know that. Because I'm not, I may not be the sharpest tack on the wall, but let me tell you something. I ain't going to tell him to go no place. And he's not going to leave unless I reject him. And I'm not about to. We're going we're gonna to hang out to the very end. Praise the Lord. That's the God we serve. And he's, he's wonderful. You know, under the old covenant, God was distant. Under the new covenant, he's as close as you can get. He lives on the inside of us. In Exodus 19, 12, it says, 
You shall set bounds for the people all around, saying, Take heed to yourself that you do not uh, go up to the mountain or touch it, its base. Whoever touches the mountain shall surely be put to, to death. So here with Moses again, when he presented the, the law, they, they, couldn't, they, couldn't, they couldn't approach God. They couldn't even approach the mountain. They couldn't come close to him. They didn't have the freedom to say, you know, I want to come into the presence of God today. No, you would have fried. But it cooked you right there. Flames of fire, poof. Here we go. But you know what? We don't have to fear that anymore. We can come into the presence of God with boldness, with confidence, knowing that he's never going to reject us. He's never going to turn us away. In Ephesians 2, 13, it says, but now in Christ, but now, everybody say, but now. That includes us. But now in Christ Jesus, you, you who once were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. We were far off, but we've been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made both one, has broken down the middle wall of separation. You know, we, we have the account in the scriptures of how when Jesus died on the cross and, and darkness covered the earth and it says that the veil in the temple was torn in two. That little veil tearing was very significant for you and I because there was only one person who could go behind that veil and that was the high priest to make offerings for man once a year. But guess what? The veil has been torn in two. And what does that mean? That means you and I, who were once, a, once far off, now have access to God. You know, why, why did they want to stone Jesus when he called God Father? Because nobody called God Father. Nobody under the old covenant called God Father because that was, too, that was too intimate. You didn't have that kind of an intimate relationship with God. But what did Jesus do? He turns around and he says to you and I, he says, you and I, we can ask the Father anything in his name. You know what that means? That means we get to call him Father. Why? Because of the intimacy that we have with him. Because we've come into his presence. And he's never going <laughs> to, he's never going to turn us away. Man, I done preached myself happy today. I don't know how y'all are doing, but it doesn't really matter because I'm feeling really good today. Praise the Lord. Woo! And of course, it doesn't hurt anything that the gophers are nine. And, well, we won't go into that. Some of you thought I was going to get through the morning, didn't you? Didn't, didn't happen. Hebrews 4.16. Let us therefore come. Oh God, I'm so unworthy, oh God. I'm so unworthy, oh God. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Oh, glory to God. In our time of need, we don't have to be afraid of touching something and being burnt up. No, 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 no. We come boldly into his presence. And he says he's not going to turn us away. We are to approach him with confidence. Jesus took our sin to the cross. He took it. No one else, he took it. Under the law, God held man responsible for their sins. Whether or not man even knew he had sinned. Think about this. Under the old covenant, you were held responsible for your shortcomings, for your failings, for your sin, whether you realized it or not. Listen to this in Leviticus 5.17. If a person sins and commits any, any of these things which, I, which are forbidden to be done by the commandments of the Lord, though he does not know it, 
Yet he is guilty and shall bear his iniquity. And so what happened to man? They had a sin consciousness because they were constant. Remember Job. Remember Job. He, every time his, his kids had a party, what did he do? He burnt sacrifices. Why? Because he didn't know maybe one of them had sinned. Didn't know if they had, but maybe they had. And so he is constantly moved. He is constantly motivated by fear. He had this sin consciousness because surely they screwed up. But see, that's not the relationship that we have with God. Let me read this out of another translation. This is out of the New Living Translation. Suppose you sin by violating one of God's commands. Even you, if you are unaware of what you have done, you are guilty and will be punished for your sin. Is it any wonder that under the old covenant, people saw God as a mean, brutal God that just wanted to bring hell, fire, and brimstone into your life to bring damnation down on you. That's not the God we serve. And it never was his nature. He's always loved us. But you know what? The wages of sin is death. The consequences of sin in the old covenant was that it was going to produce death and destruction in your life. So that's why God came against it. You know, I look at the, the flood. You know, I was, I was raised to believe that the flood was judgment on the earth. And yeah, there was an element of judgment on it. But you know, just prior to the, to the flood, it says, but for Noah and his family, the knowledge of God was lost from the earth. So the flood even though there was an element of judgment, the truth of the matter was it was God's mercy and grace. Because if Noah and his family had passed on, it says it the knowledge of God would have been lost from the earth. There would have been no avenue for salvation. And that means that all humanity would have been eternally lost. But God loved us so much that when the time was right, he sent his only begotten son so that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's what, that's what God the Father did for you and me. Sent the perfect sacrifice. He sent Jesus to be the prize for you and I. Hebrews 9, 9, it says, it was symbolic for the present time in which both gifts and sacrifice are offered, which cannot make him who performed the service perfect in regard to his conscience. You know, we're to have a clear conscience. Well, pastor, you don't know what I've done. Yeah, you're right. And you don't know what I've done. And I ain't going to tell you. Because it's none of your business. It's his business. And he's declared me forgiven. And so because I'm forgiven... Why, why, why would I even remind myself of it? You know, I, I remember when I was first saved, we had this Bible study and we'd get together and, and uh, this comes down to rotten dividing the word truth. And, and uh, we, we came together and, and uh, we were going to, you know, we, we didn't always plan something, but we came together and one of the leaders said, you know, I believe tonight we ought to have a, confession service because I was going through the scripture and I came across the passage and it says confess your faults one to another. And so I think we should have a confession service tonight. Now, now I, was a, I was a fairly good new Christian. Not such a good Christian, but new Christian. You know, there's, there's a difference. Amen. But I was a good Christian because Jesus forgave it all. But, but I was a fairly new Christian so I got together and, and we're sitting there and 
And all of a sudden somebody speaks up and they confess something. And I'm thinking, well, I need to confess something. So I was going to confess it. And I thought, but, but he's already forgiven me for that. And so I sat back and I didn't bring it up. And somebody else, and these are people that I recognize as leaders and I respect and so forth. And they're confessing it. And, and I'm about to, no, I'm already forgiven of that. I don't know how I came to that realization. But you know, like I said, I'm not really smart. But the Bible says that God has taken my sin and he's cast it as far as the east is from the west, never to remember them anymore. And so, if he's chosen not to remember them, why would I remind him? Amen? Why would I bring it up if he says it's over with, it's done with, it's taken care of? It's taken care of through the blood of Jesus. And so why would I bring it up again? And I left that meeting, I'm feeling, I'm feeling guilty. Who do you think you are? All these spiritual people are confessing their faults, their failings, their sin, and you're so high and mighty. I realize something. I am kind of high and mighty. Because I'm seated, seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. I'm seated with him at the right hand of Father God on high. No, physically I'm here. But spiritually speaking, right now, I am seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And so why would I, would I, why would I dwell on Junk. Because let me tell you something. Apart from Jesus, my life was junk. Apart from Jesus today, my life is junk. Paul said it a, more, a little more figuratively. Said it's a pile of dung. We can all identify with that these days, Mike, as we're driving through the fields and Amen. You know what? And you know what? We may not have thought we stunk, but there was a stench about us. But you know what? Now, we're a sweet smelling aroma because we're in Christ. All the shall nots have been turned to I will. See, under the old covenant, the focus was on you and me. In the new covenant, the focus is on Jesus. Listen to this. this you know, and if you don't get excited about this, I mean, glory to God. Watch the rerun of the Gophers yesterday. <laughs> Hebrews 8.8. 8. It says, because... Finding fault with them, he said, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will. Got your Bible open. You need to, you need to underline the I wills in this verse because it's not you shall, it's I will. And he says, Then I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand and led them out of the land of Egypt. Because they did not continue in my covenant and disregarded them, says the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will, there it is again, that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will. Who will? He will. I will put my laws in their mind and write them in their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. None of them shall teach his neighbor nor his brother saying, know the Lord for all shall know me from the least of them to the greatest of them for I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds. I will Remember, no more. Whew. Man, if that doesn't trick a trigger, 
I don't know what will. That's about as exciting as it can come. But notice where the focus is. The focus is on Jesus. Where's our focus supposed to be? Our focus is to be on Jesus. It's not on me. It's not on you. It's on Jesus and what he's accomplished for each and every one of us. In Deuteronomy 6, 25, it says, Then, before the cross, then it will be righteousness for us. For if, for we, if we are careful to observe all these commandments before the Lord our God as we have commanded you. That's before the cross. It's on them. It's on the individual. But now it's on Jesus. Romans 5, 17, it says, For if by one man's offense death reigned through the one, that's talking about Adam, the first Adam, much more, much more, much, much more, much more. Not the same. Not just simply more. Much more. I like God's economy. It isn't the same. It isn't just a little bit more. Much more. Much more those who receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. We're the ones. It's talking about us. It's talking about you. You see, you got to read the Bible for yourself. Nobody can, nobody can do it for you. You read it for yourself. You take it for yourself. You apply it to yourself. You put your name in there. That's how we live that victorious life because we begin to recognize our righteousness in Christ Jesus. But it doesn't happen as I look at my faults and I, as I look at it in a general way. It's to be in a personal way. It's to be in an intimate way. It's to look at what Jesus has done for each and every one of us. Under the law, the people lived in condemnation. Condemnation. Constantly feeling guilty. Under grace, we're free from it. We're free from condemnation. Romans 5.18, it says, Therefore, as though one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation, even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift, the free gift, if you earned it, it's not a gift. The free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. I remember if we talked about last Sunday or Wednesday night. We talked about the fact that the sad, horrible element of hell is that each and every individual that suffers that judgment, Jesus paid the price that they might live. For every man, woman, and child, Jesus paid the price so that we might live. And that we might live in this life in a victorious way. Romans 8, 1, it says, There is, therefore, no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. If you are in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation in your life. Under the old, we were constantly condemned. Before we realized what Jesus, how he totally paid the price, we would suffer through condemnation. We are not condemned. Why? Because we're led by the Spirit. The last part of the verse. Who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. We are a spirit being. We are led by the Spirit. God resides on the inside of us, directing our path. And as a result of that, we will not. <clears throat> Do you realize that you and I don't ever have to sin again? Now, don't misunderstand me. We will. But we don't have to. Do you know why? 
because we have the Holy Spirit that wants to lead us. He put the word in our head and he put the law in our head and in our heart. We know right from wrong. Every time we step out of line, we know it because the Holy Spirit is leading us. And if we would ever master following completely the Holy Spirit, he would never lead us into sin again. But you know what? We will because we haven't mastered it. And sometimes, sometimes I just want to. You understand what I'm saying? Well, Pastor, I don't know how that happened in my life. I do. You wanted to. Don't look at me with that tone of voice. You know that's true. Every one of us in the room have made that choice from time to time. But we don't have to because of what Jesus has done for us. In Job 9, he talks about needing a mediator. There's no mediator. There's no in-between. There's nobody to, to come between me and God and represent me to God. But that's no longer the case because we have Jesus. 1 Timothy 2, 5, it says, for there is one God and one mediator between God and man, Jesus Christ. He's our mediator. He's there in between. He brings us into that right position with God. Hebrews 9, 15, it says, and for this reason, he, Jesus, is the mediator of the new covenant by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant that those who are called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. We have the inheritance. You know, isn't it interesting? Jesus died on the cross and he was raised from the dead so that he might be the mediator of the covenant to make sure that we receive the inheritance that belongs to you and I. That's what Jesus came for. And that's what Jesus continues to do today as our mediator, to see to it that we receive all the blessings that belong to you and I. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. There is no other way to the Father but through me. Don't be deluded. Don't be deceived. Don't listen to the lie that God has, God has many ways to heaven. Liar, liar, pants on fire. There is only one way to heaven. And that's by putting our trust, our confidence in Christ and in Christ alone. He paid the price. He made the way. Don't buy the lie. Don't accept the deception because this day that we're in, oh, there is so much of this going on. Doesn't matter what you believe. Yes, it does. Doesn't matter whether you focus on Jesus. Yes, it does. He is the way. And he is the only way of salvation. I know that you know this. But I don't want you to ever be deceived. I don't want you to ever be deluded. I don't ever want you to compromise from that truth. Well, pastor, when you take that position, you may hurt some people. You may offend some people. I'd rather offend some people and see them go to heaven rather than get along with everybody and watch them go to hell. Because you may not like it, but there's a heaven to gain and there's a hell to shun. And there's only one way to shun hell. It's by receiving heaven, by accepting what Jesus has done for each and every one of us. Hebrews 8, 6, and I'll close with this. But now he has obtained more excellent ministry inasmuch as he is, is also mediator of a better covenant. A better covenant. A better covenant, which is established on better promises. A better covenant established on better promises. Do you know what that means? 
means what we have under the new covenant is gooder than what they had under the old. Better means better. Not lesser. Not even the same. It's better. And that's what we have in Christ Jesus. And so why, why, why in the world would we want to fall back under that once again? When we're not to be under it, we're to be over it through Christ Jesus, seated with him in heavenly places, far above principality, power, might, dominion, every name that is ever named. What name is tormenting you? Maybe it's a name of some kind of a sickness. It's under the name of Jesus. You know, you all heard me share this before. The majority of you, you've all heard all of my stories, the majority of you. But I was in Egypt and we went to the Cairo Museum and there's the thrones of Pharaoh, of the Pharaohs. And the guy that was showing us around, he says, look at the footstool. And he says, what do you see? It had all this hieroglyphic, how do you say it? Hieroglyphics, you know, a bunch of pictures. And, uh, and he said, you know what that signifies? And he says that signifies every one of the enemy that the king defeated. And so every time he sits down on his throne, his enemies are under his feet. Jesus wasn't just going, God wasn't just trying to fill up pages when he told us that the enemy is under our feet. He's our footstool. He's a feeded full. That name that tries to rise up against you, it's under your feet. That lack that tries to come against your life, it's under your feet. That bondage that tries to come against you, it's under your feet. That sin that seems to so easily beset, beset you, it's under your feet. Because you're seated the right hand of Father God on high. And the enemy is your foot stool. When you talk to the devil, don't ever look up. He ain't up there. It's down there. Oh, Pastor Dave, you better be careful. You might tick the devil off. We ought to. Every morning when you get up, you're going to say, oh my God, they're awake again. <laughs> Why? Because we spend our day living out the will of Christ in our life. And every time we do the will of God, the enemy is defeated. And we proclaim and we declare to a lost and dying world the victory that belongs to us, which can be theirs through Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. Well, I better quit. Praise the Lord. You know what it means when a preacher looks at his watch, don't you? Absolutely nothing. But, Time to go home. Time to live it out. Time to demonstrate to a world that is hopeless that there is hope. We find it in Jesus. So Father, I thank you this morning for Jesus. Oh, Lord, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he was obedient to the call that he gave his life, that he died on that cross, that he went to hell and he is raised from the dead for our justification, that we might live this wonderful, victorious, abundant life. We live it in and through you. Father, we want our lives to be a representation of you. May this community, may this world that we live in see you in and through us, through our lives, through our actions, through everything that we do. And so today we just declare we love you, Lord, with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our might. 
And we want your will to be done in each of our lives. And so we give you all the praise and the glory because it belongs to you. In Jesus' name. And so as you go, go in his peace, go in his strength, go in his love. Go in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in the magnificent name of Jesus. Amen. Give somebody a hug. Let them know you love them. Be blessed.